word to the book of James this morning, James chapter 1. We embarked on a new series last week in the book of James entitled Draw Near. We began in James chapter 4 because that's where we found this overarching theme of the book, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. And throughout the entirety of James's letter, he is instructing people on how they can draw near to God. He also highlighted the tension that is there in our lives daily in that not only is this invitation to draw near to God there, but there is also this pull that is drawing us away from God and that you and I have to make that decision. We're the ones that have to desire to draw near to Him. Uh, God promises that He'll draw near to us, but He invites us to draw near to Him. And so this morning, we will go back to the beginning of the book and begin working our way systematically through. We're going to take in 18 verses today. It's a pretty large passage of Scripture made up of a few different paragraphs, but I do believe that there is a unifying theme that is found here. And so the title of this message is Draw Near Through Faithfulness. And all of these things that we're going to look at, tribulation, prayer, temptation, God's character, uh, we find that there is this, this theme, this opportunity for our faithfulness to God that will bring us nearer to Him. James 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth away, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. For of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Dear Lord, once again, it is our privilege to step into your realm, to hear your voice, to study your word. Father, I pray and ask that you would give us 
eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind to comprehend, and a heart to obey. Lord, may we realize that faithfulness is at stake every single day of our lives and that in many facets and in many avenues we are tempted to be less than faithful. God, help us to find that faithfulness draws us nearer to you and that that longevity of loyalty can bring us into a nearness that is unachievable any other way. God, help us to be faithful people and persevere to the end, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we read this passage of Scripture, we come to this first book, there's a few things that I want to address as we are coming into the very first lines of this book. Uh, You and I need to understand that while uh, God is giving us his word, and it's going to apply in every culture, every age, throughout time, that it did have a specific audience and a specific context in which it was given. We find that it is introduced, uh, the author, as James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. We know that the disciple James was martyred in Acts chapter 12. This James would have been the James leading the council in Acts chapter 15. It doesn't look as if he was a believer in Jesus as his brother originally, but then later, after uh, the crucifixion, resurrection, he becomes a faithful believer in Christ and a leader in the church, even uh, becoming an apostle and uh, giving the the opportunity to write a book. It tells us that he is writing this and he does not attribute any of his standing to his physical relationship to Jesus Christ but only to his spiritual relationship that he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ and what a reminder that is to you and I that simply because James was uh, born into the same family as Jesus that gave him no special standing his special standing is through his faith in Christ as Lord and Savior and then he tells us who he is writing to he's writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad and that might give us a pause and we might say why is he writing to the 12 tribes I thought this was New Testament I mean Old Testament is writing to the 12 tribes Old Testament is writing to Israel this is supposed to be New Testament, we're supposed to be writing to the church. There's one body in Christ, Jew and Gentile. And the simple answer to that is that this is likely the first letter that was written in the New Testament dispensation. The Old Testament canon of Scripture had been completed 400 years before Jesus came. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he begins giving new revelation to his disciples during his life and his ministry. And they would later go on to write those down. But the first one to put pen to paper or quill to parchment is James. And at the time of James's writing... The Christians are predominantly Jewish because the gospel went to the Jew first. It began in Jerusalem and Judea and then it branched out from there. If we remember, James is the one who had to deal with the question of whether or not Gentiles could even be saved the same way that Jews could be saved or whether or not they needed to become Jewish proselytes first and go through uh, the ceremonial rituals of circumcision before they could receive salvation. And so he writes to the 12 tribes scattered abroad because it is primarily a Jewish audience who is Christian but it also has a further application to all who would be in Christ as the letters that follow this one make clear that there is one person in Christ it is no longer Jew or Gentile but we are all one in Christ 
not only do we need to take that into consideration, but, but that also carries with it some details that we need to know. Like I began our service talking about the verse from this passage that we're counted all joy when we fall into divers temptations. And, and sometimes we think, man, you know what? Uh, life in America is unprecedented. We've never seen anything like we've seen in the last year, the last month, the last week, whatever you want to fill in the blank with. And sometimes we get this disconnect and we say, well, you know, I mean, this, I'm not happy with how things are going. I'm upset. And we totally ignore the instructions that God has given to us for such a time as this. So let me just let you in on a little bit of background on what these people that he's dealing with are going through and living in. He's writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad because the nation of Israel is no longer an independent nation. It's no longer a sovereign nation. In fact, the nation of Israel lost its sovereignty hundreds of years before when the Babylonian Empire marched in and sacked Jerusalem. And from there it goes into the Medo-Persian Empire and then to the Greco-Roman Empire. And so now Israel is not an independent nation anymore. They are a vassal state of Rome. They are a servant state of Rome. Rome is the one who writes their laws. Rome is the one who polices their laws. Rome is the one who adds taxes to them and their contractors. Do you think that they're happy about Rome's interference into their lives? Well, no, they're not happy about that. In fact, you find some of those tensions being lived out in the pages of Scripture. And shortly after this time, there is a Jewish rebellion that takes place. And so the momentum of that is beginning to build. Do you remember one of Jesus' disciples was called a zealot? That was a political term. He was a zealot for Zion. He was the one who was wanting to see Zion reestablished to its former glory. And so you have these, this group of people in Israel who's going through this. It builds to a head shortly after the writing of this letter. And there is a full-blown Jewish rebellion where they are saying, we're not going to do what Rome tells us to do. We're not going to pay Rome's taxes. We're not going to obey Rome's laws. And so Rome sends an army to Israel. And for a couple of years, they are fighting and they are taking on little skirmishes. They're trying to put out fires. But when they cannot get it all put out, they have a full-blown invasion of Jerusalem. And Titus, the, the general of the Roman Empire, marches them in. They tear down the gates. Uh, they destroy some of the buildings. And they wipe out Israel's greatest symbol of sovereignty. In A.D. 70, they take out the temple. Let's think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. Now, not to get political, but if you think a few yahoos getting into our Capitol building was a desecration, you've got to think about what these Jews are about to deal with. This temple was not the, uh, the design of their founding fathers. The pattern for this thing came directly from God to Moses. Moses built a tabernacle. That tabernacle that foreshadowed the temple went along with them through the wilderness. It was the center of where God was. It was where the mercy seat was. It was where the law of the covenant was. It was where the atonement was. It was where the great high priest went into. Later on, God gives that blessed king David the ability to source all of the supplies that they need. And then in the reign of Solomon, when Israel is at its zenith he builds and constructs the temple 
which is truly one of the wonders of the ancient world. And on the day that it's inaugurated, he sacrifices a thousand lambs and he uh, prays to God and the presence of God fills that temple and it has been the center of their civic and religious life. It has been damaged in the past but it is rebuilt under the leadership of Herod and at this time it is everything that they identify with and in a few short years of this writing a Roman army is going to walk into the borders of Israel. They are going to penetrate the gates of Jerusalem and they are going to dismantle the temple in Jerusalem and guess what? It's still dismantled. It's not there. So let me ask you. Do you think they had any political opinions? You have political opinions. I have political opinions. It's pretty evident that in America there's differing political opinions. And sadly, we allow stuff like this sometimes just to consume all of our thinking, all of our attention, all of our energy, all of our emotion. When God is saying, look up here, keep your eyes on me. Yes, this stuff is going on just like it went on in this day and time. But what I desire, what God desired from them, and what God desires from you and I is this, faithfulness. Faithfulness. As we look at this passage of Scripture, even though it covers different subjects, what we find is that God in each one of these is giving us an opportunity for faithfulness. He is inviting us to make the decision to stay faithful to Him in each one of these scenarios. As we think about what these people are going through, it begins with tribulation. It begins with the trying of their faith. These people, some of these people have been scattered. Some of them have been displaced. Some of them have been disenfranchised. Some of them are going through trials. And those trials encompass everything from physical to emotional to financial uh, to mental trials. Some of these people are struggling. Some of them are struggling to understand why are they going through this when they're simply trying to live right for God. Why is all of this happening to them and happening to their people and happening to their country and happening to their fellow Christians? Which, by the way, not only were the Jews as a nation going through this, but you also realize that it is shortly after this time that that infamous Caesar rises to power named Nero and Nero begins persecuting the Christians there and so you're going to have these people who are looking around at the world that seems to be burning down around them and they're trying to live right for God and they don't understand and they're asking God, why is this happening? Some of these people have experienced a reversal of fortunes. He writes to those who were once rich who have lost and he says, hey, look, just like the flower fades, earthly riches pass away too. Some of these people are fighting an internal battle with their own lusts, with their own desires, as he tells them that every man is drawn away when he's tempted of his own lust. And so I, I, don't, I don't care what you're going through today. I am telling you, God has a word for you in this text. God has a word that speaks to wherever you are, just like he is speaking to these men and these women through the pen of James He's speaking to you and I today. I want you to look at these four opportunities for faithfulness with me this morning. Number one, 
Be faithful in your tribulation. Be faithful in your tribulation. I, I, I got to tell you, I, I don't feel like I said this. I didn't preach this as nicely as I wanted to preach it the first service. I'm going to try to do better this time. But I really think that's one of the hazards of preaching through the book of James. James doesn't sugarcoat stuff, right? He's like straightforward. Sometimes, I mean, he wraps you on the beak a little bit to get your attention. And so I, I really am trying not to, not, not to lean into that too much. And, and I, I want you to know, as I preach this, we're on the same team. I'm for you. I'm with you. We're together. And so let's be faithful in our tribulation. Verses 1 through 4, he says something very odd. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. We talked about this passage back in the fall when I had to fill in and preach our revival. I happened to be studying this text. And we preached about how that we go through these trials and temptations. And he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And so you and I have to accept the fact that at some point along life's journey... We're going to experience difficulties. We're going to experience trials. We're going to experience testings. We're going to get bad news. We're going to have some discouraging things come our way. It is going to happen. Mark it down. But what God wants from you and I is for us to remain faithful. Count it all joy. Continue to maintain your joy in the Lord when these things happen. Hey, 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 he says, know this. That the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her full work, her perfect work, her completed work. That only happens as you and I stay faithful to God. Here's what I would say. Don't withdraw from God when life gets difficult. Don't withdraw from God when life gets difficult. Uh, let's see how well you know yourself. How many of you all are withdrawers? You run into something, you don't like it, it's overwhelming, you withdraw. I'm just pulling back. I'm just, you know what? I got everything I need right here. I'm just going to pull back here. Y'all do what y'all going to do. I, I hang out here. While that might be great on social media, that would be recommended on social media, really. We need more withdrawers. I, I don't think social media attracts the withdrawers. They're on there, but they're the ones that keep scrolling. We don't need to withdraw from God. You see, I think the danger is, is that when the difficulty comes and we're facing these things and, and we have this belief that God is sovereign and that if it's coming to our life, God must have let it come into our life, all of a sudden we start pulling back and say, well, man, I don't, I don't like that. I don't want that. I, I don't know about that, Lord. But, but God's word to you and I is to be patient. It is to endure but not just to endure, but to endure with joy. Count it all joy. Keep going in your walk with the Lord. I know that life gets difficult, and sometimes you need to withdraw from certain realms, but never withdraw from your relationship to God. Now, I won't ask this because it might cause too much trouble in church, but in your relationship with husbands and wives, have you recognized that one of you may be a withdrawer? That when there's a conflict or there's a difficulty, sometimes there's a person who is... They, what should I call them? A fighter, maybe. Maybe that's too harsh of a word. But they're like a nip. They're going to get at it. Well, what's going on? No, we got to keep talking about this. Well, you know it's it. And then you've got another one who just starts shutting down. 
and withdrawing. I'm just going to back off. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to let this pass. I'm going to do that. <sighs> That's a whole other sermon when it comes to marriage. We'll, maybe we'll get to that later this year. I don't know. Let's not be that way in our relationship with God. Let's not withdraw from Him because the subject is, is not something we want to discuss. It's not an issue we want to deal with. You see, the way that we can continue to be faithful to God in difficulties and in tribulation is because we trust Him. We know that He is not some maniacal deity up there who is simply trying to cause us difficulty in life. He's just doing stuff to toy with us, to punish us, uh, to dangle a carrot. That's not who our God is. Our God is the God who went to the cross. Our God is the one who transcended time and space and the chasm of sin to come and give His life for our sins, to reconcile us to Himself, to create an opportunity for us to have a relationship with Him. And so when it does get difficult, and we understand that God's allowed the difficulty to come don't let that repel you trust him you see these trials have a purpose he says that the trying of your faith works something it is like a refiner's fire that comes and burns off the impurities while that is not enjoyable for you and I as Christians, while these tribulations, these trials, these testings are not enjoyable, they are not what we signed up for. They were not our first, second, or third choice in classes we could take in Christianity 101. They serve a purpose from God. And you know what you'll find about going through the refiner's fire? It actually draws you closer to the refiner. The one who refines you. When you are going through that, you will find that it actually is an opportunity for you to get closer to him. Here's how I can be faithful in these tribulations. I know that God's faithful in them. What God is doing in that trial and that tribulation is he is exposing my weakness. He's exposing my spiritual weakness so that I can do what is necessary for the sanctifying work he wants to do in my life. I think that we're all pretty good at deceiving ourselves. James talks about that later in the chapter, that if we are hearers of the word but not doers, we deceive our own selves. What does that look like? Well, what it looks like in the Christian life sometimes is that you and I get saved. And man, we were a mess. I was a mess. I was a mess before I got saved. And man, God has really done some good things in my life. He's changed the way that I talk. He's changed the way that I think. He's changed the way that I live. He helped me to get rid of some of those bad habits. Man, I even started learning some Bible verses, got some memorized. I, 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 I started going to church. I learned the songs. I could sing without the hymnal. I mean, I'm, I'm tracking along pretty good. And I get to a point where I think, you know what? I'm a pretty good Christian. Now, I'm not perfect. Nope, nobody would say that they're perfect I know that I'm not perfect but I think I'm a pretty solid Christian I'm just out here living for the Lord and you know what God does God says oh okay let me show you something I'm going to put you in this situation and I'm going to bring some intensity to it and all of a sudden you're going to find that there's a fracture that you didn't see before in your spiritual life and it's going to open up and you're going to be like whoa I didn't realize that I had that area of weakness and then it gives me the opportunity to invite God in and to do his faithful work of sanctifying me. As Paul said, that he was confident that he who began a good work in him would perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. God is working on you and I. 
And you and I have to be aware that there's a need, right? I don't go to the doctor for surgery unless I think there's a medical need for surgery. Then I'm willing to go under the blade. And I don't always check in for God's spiritual surgery unless there's a trial or a test that has exposed a weakness or a sickness in my spiritual life. And then all of a sudden, I am patient zero. Lord, work on me. And so be faithful in your tribulation. Number two, be faithful in your petition. Be faithful in your petition. James changes gears a little bit and he goes from telling them to count it all joy when they fall into diverse temptations because God has a purpose in that. But he does offer this caveat in verse 5. He says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to you. Now, that verse does not mean that God has promised that if you are in school and you're taking a test and you don't know the answer on the exam, that you can pray and ask God, give me wisdom because I don't know this. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God will give you the right answer that you need and you'll be able to pass that test with flight. That is not the context in which this verse is given. This verse is given in the context of being in tribulation. If any of you lack wisdom or understanding about your situation, about the trial that you're in, about the tribulation that you're going through, about the test that is testing your mettle, if you lack wisdom, then you can bring that to God. You can bring that petition to God and you can pray to God. Watch. It is okay if you don't understand. You are invited to ask God about it. I, I, I remember growing up and hearing people sometimes say, you know, hear a conversation and someone say, well, I don't, I don't know why I'm going through this. And, and some other faithful Christian would say, well, don't question God. Don't question God. You know, I have, we, we've got to realize that there is a right way in which that is said and there's a wrong way in which that is said. I am not to question God as if God has to answer to me. I am not to question God as if to call him into my office and say, now what are you doing here? You were doing pretty good for a while. Life was going good until 2020, and then you really have messed some things up. What are you doing? But I can question God when I come to him and say, God, I, I don't understand what's going on and I'm struggling over here and I feel like I'm drowning and I thought that I was doing what you wanted me to do but yet I'm running into these difficulties. Lord, will you, will you give me wisdom to understand this? Can I, can I illustrate this? Uh, it's my goal to embarrass my kids every Sunday this year so I'm going to bring it back into it. Y'all know how it is raising kids, right? Good days, bad days, right? I have never responded well when my child has challenged me. What are you doing that for? That's never, that doesn't, doesn't go well. well. Why did you do that? Oh, put your seatbelt on, Junior. You're about to get a lecture here, right? But I have always responded well when my child has come to me and said, Dad, I don't understand this or that. Can you explain it to me? Now, same question, essentially, different attitude. Be faithful in your petitions. There's nothing wrong with asking God why. But you have to go to Him faithfully knowing that He is God. That He is sovereign. That He has the right to do whatever He wants you to do in your life. 
And that when you're going to him and you're asking him in faith, that's what James says. He says, God will give you wisdom about this, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea that is tossed. Uh, Let that man not think he'll receive anything of the Lord. You and I have to go in honest sincerity, trusting God. God, help me to understand this. And our faithfulness comes in in being willing to accept whatever he says. To accept whatever he reveals to you and I. You see, because God's answer may not be what you want to hear. It may not be satisfying to you. Why do we have to go through a pandemic? Have you figured that one out yet? Why do we have to do this? I know there's a lot of countries in the world that need more judgment than we do. Why are we going through this? Well, why are we going through it as Christian people? I understand that lost people need something to get their attention and bring them to Christ. But we save people up in here. We're trying to live for the Lord. We're trying to do right. All we're doing is trying to get... Why do we get the coronavirus? You you may not want the answer that God has for you in that if you're not faithful to Him. Now, I'm not going to pretend to give you an answer. I, I, I don't know. I know I've asked God, and he's given me a few things to help me understand for myself. But you and I have to understand that, that God's in control. What if God says this? I've had enough. I've had enough. I've let it go on too long. I've allowed sin and rebellion in this world. You're aborting 60 million babies a year on planet Earth. And I'm going to send a little tiny virus that affects the entire world. Now, I'm not saying that that's God's answer. But I'm saying if that is God's answer, are you okay with that? Are you willing to accept that? Are you willing to be faithful and say, God, you know what you're doing. You're, you're, you're God and I'm not. Be faithful in your petitions. Keep praying. But praying with an understanding and willing heart. Number three, be faithful in your temptation. Be faithful in your temptation. Again, we change subjects. Blessed is the man, verse 12, that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Verse 13, let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Whoa, if God's not tempting us, then who is? That's a question we're supposed to ask, right? I mean, because James felt the responsibility by the Holy Spirit to say, hold on a minute here. Then when you're going through your trials and tribulations and you're struggling to pray and and ask God for wisdom and and to be faithful in your petition to understand this, and and when you face those temptations that your flesh wants to latch on to, be careful to understand that it is not God who is tempting you to sin. God tests, God does not tempt in that sense. And so as a Christian, I've got to ask, who is the tempter? And you know what? God's already told me in his word. In Matthew chapter 4, when the Lord Jesus Christ was going to enter into his public ministry, he fasted for 40 days, he went out into the wilderness, and the Bible says that the devil came, the tempter, to tempt him. Somebody shouted it out already. Who's the tempter? It is the devil. It is Satan. It is the enemy of God and of God's people. 
In fact, in the letter to 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul explains why he is writing to them so soon. He had went to the city of Thessalonica. He preached the gospel. A few people got saved and baptized. A church begins just to form, but then there's this big uprising, and Paul and his party get run out of town, and he knows that those new Christians are in a pressure cooker from day one. They are living the Christian life in tribulation. And so Paul writes a letter back to them because he's concerned. He wants to know how are they doing. And listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians 3.5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Well, oh, the Bible is rich. And when I ask the question, who is the tempter, the Bible pays in dividends. The tempter is Satan. And the tempter tempted Jesus. Do you think he'll tempt you? And the tempter tempted the Christians in Thessalonica. you think he'll tempt the ones here in Virginia? What about some precedents? You know, we've, we, I'm worn out with hearing things are unprecedented. Let me tell you something. There are some things that have been long precedented. The tempter tempting is one of the oldest precedents in the world. Genesis chapter 3. The serpent appears to Eve. Yea, has God said that you can't eat of every tree of the garden? No, no, he didn't say we're going to eat of all of them. He just said we can't eat of that one. Oh, well, you know why he doesn't want you to eat of that tree? Because that's the God tree. And when you eat of that tree, you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. And God doesn't want any competing gods. And so he told you not to eat of that tree. Temptation. And she falls for the tempter's trick. And what's the result? Separation. Drawn away. Those who were created for a relationship with God, now when God comes, are hiding themselves in fear because the tempter tricked them and tempted them and they latched onto it in sin and it drew them away. How about a positive case study? Ever heard of a guy named Job? Satan shows up before God. God says, have you seen my servant Job? There's not anybody like him in all the land. He's righteous. He's upright. He is faithful. And Satan, the tempter, says, well, does Job serve you for nothing? Is Job faithful to you for naught? Let me tell you what, he, he has a superficial faithfulness to you because you've blessed him so abundantly. You let me take away some of his blessings and he will become unfaithful. He will, he will curse your name. And God says, okay, go for it. And Satan does just that. And I think one of the most beautiful, I know it's one of the most personally convicting passages I read in the Bible, is that after Job has lost everything, the Bible says that Job shaves his head, rips his mantle, sits down in ashes, and worships God. Hey, that's a picture of faithfulness when the tempter is tempting. Job says, naked came I in the world, naked will I go out. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of of the Lord. I hear you a little nugget to ponder on for those of you that might be getting bored. Satan comes back at Job, skin for skin. Skin for skin. Let me touch his health and he will curse you. And God says, 
everything but his life. And Satan has the power to inflict a physical malady on Job. I don't know. Coronavirus is a physical malady, is it not? I'm just telling you, you and I, we have to be faithful to God when we are going through tribulation. We've got to be faithful to God when we're making petitions, asking why. We've got to be faithful to God in our temptations. We know who the temper is. What is the, the goal of temptation? It is to separate us from God. It is to draw us away. A negative case study of that is old Peter in Luke 22 when Jesus reveals to them that he is going to go to the cross and that he'll be forsaken by all. Peter bows out his chest. He says, no, I'm a good Christian. I'm a good disciple. I've been following you. I will not forsake you. Though everybody forsake you, I will not forsake you. I will follow you even to the death. And Jesus goes, oh, Peter, poor Peter. The tempter has desired to tempt you. Or in other words, Satan has desired to sift you. And before the rooster crows, you will deny me. And you know what? Peter was tempted. Peter failed. Peter is drawn away from God, right? He goes away in tears. Jesus has to get, send a special message to Peter after the resurrection in Mark 16, 7. Go tell my disciples and Peter to meet me. Why? Because the tempter was effective at drawing him away. Now, while we know who the tempter is, God doesn't lay the blame on the tempter's feet. Look at the text, James 1.14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So while we know that there is a tempter out there and he is persistently tempting and he is very good at his temptations, you and I cannot blame him for our lack of faithfulness in the temptation. If you and I succumb to the temptation, we cannot say it's the devil's fault because he tempted me. Every man is drawn away of his own lust when he's enticed, when he's tempted and drawn away of his own lust. Hey, that's on you or I. We choose whether or not to be faithful to God in the temptation or whether we choose to be unfaithful. And by the way, don't misinterpret that word lust. It doesn't just mean physical attraction. See, there's some people that read that and say, I'm glad I don't have a problem with that. Man, I'm not tempted by those things. Do you understand that that word lust used in the Bible has to do with any of your fleshly temptations, any of your fleshly cravings? You want to see one that I think a lot of us have succumbed to lately? You're not going to like it. Verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why? Verse 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Oh, so you've done pretty good on sexual temptation. You haven't been given into that. Praise the Lord. Glad for that. How about your temptation to anger? How about those injustices that you think have been going on in the world and in your life that have got you ticked up and boiling mad inside? Hey, that is a temptation. That is succumbing to a lust of the flesh. And when we go into that mode, the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Do you know what it does? Ding, 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 ding. It makes us unfaithful to the Lord. Be faithful in your temptation. I like what Erwin Lutzer wrote in his book, God's Devil. 
He said, the devil longs to prove that our loyalty to God is superficial and based on warped motives. Every temptation that Satan brings our way turns out to be a test of our loyalty to God. The people of God are Satan's most coveted trophy. Yes, the tempter is going to tempt, and he's going to tempt you every day, and he is going to study your life, and he's going to figure out where your weaknesses are, and he's going to try and get those temptations in your life because he is fighting for you to pull your loyalty away from the Lord. And look, if he can get you to be unfaithful in one moment or in one area, it is a trophy on his shelf because he launched a blow against God whom he hates with all of his being. Fourth and final opportunity to be faithful is be faithful in your reciprocation. Faithful in your reciprocation. What do I mean by reciprocation? Well, listen to how James transitions once again. Verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren. That word err means don't stray away or don't be led away. So don't stray away. Don't be drawn away, my brethren. Every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What he is saying here to you and I is that God is faithful. More than that, God is faithful. God is the model of faithfulness. He says, the Father of lights, every good thing that you have, every perfect thing that you have has come from God. All of the evil temptations come from the tempter. All of the gifts come from God. And listen, there is no variableness in God. There is no vacillation in God. God is not turning or twisting or changing His ways. He said in Malachi, I am the Lord, I change not. And so I should be faithful because He's faithful. His faithfulness ought to motivate my faithfulness. How faithful is God? Well, James didn't just leave it as there's no variableness with him. Neither, listen to the imagery of this, neither shadow of turning. Neither shadow of turning. What does that mean? That means that God doesn't even cast the shadow in the wrong direction. You can't ever misinterpret his faithfulness. He is faithful. He never begins to move one direction and then remembers, oh, I don't want to go that way and comes back. It never even enters his mind. There is no shadow of turning with him. And it goes on and says that he's the one who saved us and made us the first fruits of his. So let me just finish with this this morning. Faithfulness. You say, I hit the big markers of being faithful. I mean, I would never turn my back on God. I'd never deny that I believed in God. I would never deny believing in Jesus. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes I don't always pray the way I should pray or read my Bible or I don't always worship the way. I, well, sometimes I lose my temper and I don't always seek to put God for it. But, but I mean, I'm not being unfaithful. Well, let me ask those of you who are married. Where do you draw the line of faithfulness and unfaithfulness? Well, you know what? If my wife goes out with another man, that is unfaithful. If my husband goes out with another woman, that's unfaithful. Okay. But what if, what if they just like to go out on dinner dates? And they promise you that they're coming back home. 
that they're not going to do anything physical, but, but, you know, they just want to have a relationship with this person over dinner. Is that faithfulness in your book? <laughs> Pay attention now. I'm not going to trick you. You might want to think it sounds good. I'm an open-minded prayer. I'm not jealous at all. I'm just telling you, when you've said vows to somebody, and you say, I'm your husband, and, and she says, I'm your wife, we, we have a line of faithfulness, and we say, you know what? It, it, this just doesn't just count the act of physical intimacy. This also uh, counts the, this stepping out of this relationship to find some, some emotional support in, in that person from someone else. How about this? What if they say, well, I, I would never meet them in person, but I have an online relationship with them. Is that faithfulness, women? I'll ask the women because they know. Well, then why is it we're so willy-nilly with our faithfulness to God? Why is it that you and I want this complete faithfulness to us when we're in a monotonous, uh, not <laughs> monogamous relationship? Never monotonous. Never monotonous. Maybe that serves a purpose. <laughs> Why is it that we're so strict in what we count as faithfulness to us and we're so lax in what we count as faithfulness to God? I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to beat us up. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm not trying to, to micromanage your Christian life and say you're not faithful. I, I just want this whole year to say I want to be more faithful. I want to get closer to God. I want to draw nearer to Him because He is faithful to me. The Bible says He's faithful in my sufferings. He is faithful in my temptations to make a way of escape. When I think about all the opportunities, all the times that I was less than faithful to God and He was always faithful to me, it humbles me and it convicts me. And it motivates me to want to say, I want to be more and more and more faithful to God. I want to be faithful in the tribulation. I don't want to withdraw when it gets tough. I want to be faithful in my petitions that when I am praying and even when I am confounded and I don't know what's going on, I am trusting Him implicitly. I want to be faithful in my temptations knowing that, that the tempter is out there always trying to tempt me, but I don't want to give in to those temptations. I want to be faithful to Him. And I want to be faithful in reciprocating His faithfulness that He has shown to me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your unfailing faithfulness, your unwavering faithfulness. Lord, even on our worst days, even through our worst weeks, even in our departures from you, you have always remained faithful to us Lord we want to be a faithful people now more than ever it's easy to be faithful Satan had it right it is easy to be faithful when the blessings are rolling in the challenge of faithfulness comes when the difficulties arise when the tribulations come when the temptations are strong God help us to be found faithful in you I pray in Jesus name Amen